Well, welcome to Raider Church. My name is Clayton Walker. I'm the pastor here at Raider Church. Pumped that you guys are joining us this week. Last week was adulting part one. We had the largest crowd we've ever had at Raider Church. We had like 350 first-time guests, had 32 people commit their life to Christ. Isn't that incredible? Last week at the launch for Raider Church. And so I'm excited about what God's gonna do tonight. We're in the middle of a series called Adulting where we're talking about three ways that you can own college so that college doesn't own you. Three ways that you can thrive in college and not just survive. And so I know a lot of you are like, what does it look like to be owned by something? Like, what does that look like? How can I know if I'm being owned by something? Well, here's one way you can tell if you're being owned by something. You go to Texas. This is what it looks like to be owned. In case this isn't enough for you, here's another idea of what being owned looks like. This is A&M getting beat by UCLA at the very end of the game. And then in case that wasn't enough, here's, here's another picture of what it looks like to get owned. Baylor getting beat by Liberty. That's what it looks like to get owned. Okay, but in case you're like, okay, that's great. That's what it looks like to get owned. What does it look like to own something? Well, here you go. This is what it looks like to own something. Here you go. I, I thought I might hear from you girls about that. So that's what it looks like to own something. So that's what, that's what we've been talking about. Now, for most of my adult life, I have been owned by Dr. Pepper and Outback cheese fries. Okay, I'm just gonna be honest with you, all right? It's okay to not be okay, okay? No perfect people allowed, I'm not perfect. I've been owned by most of my adult life uh, because, because of Dr. Pepper. And so uh, even to this day, like I can see a cold Dr. Pepper with like the sweat going down the outside of the cup and my mouth will start to water. Like I just, I see it and I want it. Like Dr. Pepper, I, I'll, I'll admit it, I'll confess it right now, okay? Um, Dr. Pepper owns me, like, okay? So, so does Outback cheese fries. I love Outback cheese fries. I've loved them for years, okay? If I could have them every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, I would. And there was a point in my life where I looked like I had Dr. Pepper and cheese fries for breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner. I got to a weight when I, I was in my mid-20s, been married for a few years, and uh, we had our first child, I think about four or five years into our marriage, and um, so Levi's born, and I'm, I'm trying to get up out of a chair with him in my arm, and I realize I'm having trouble getting up out of this like lazy, like, easy boy chair, you know, kind of thing with, with my son. I can't do it, and so I realize, okay, something needs to change here. I'm going to stop drinking as much Dr. Pepper and eating as much cheese fries. Like, okay, something's got to change. And so I started working out. I took a year off of Dr. Pepper and Outback cheese fries, okay? Now, during that time, I could have had it, and there wouldn't wouldn't have been anything inherently wrong with that. But I had to ask the question in that year that I was taking off from Dr. Pepper and cheese fries to start working out again. I hadn't worked out in a long time to start working out again. I had to examine during that year, should I have... Dr. Pepper and Outback cheese fries, okay? It wasn't about whether I could, I could, and there wasn't anything inherently wrong with that, but the question, wisdom says, should I? I could, but but should, should I? And so for a year, I was working out, I was running, then my knees started hurt, then I started lifting some weights, and so for a year, uh, I, I stopped drinking Dr. Pepper, Outback cheese fries. I still, even to this day, I really can't have too many Dr. Peppers, like really more than one a week, or, or I would just go right back off the wagon and I would be addicted to Dr. Pepper again. And, and let me just tell you this, if, if you've been 
on Dr. Pepper, like I say that like it's a drug, it is, but, but if you've been on Dr. Pepper and you've ever gotten off of it, you know how difficult that is. Like I, I went through withdrawals, like I couldn't sleep, I was irritable, I, I, was, I was anxious, and I was having headaches until it had been a while of being off of Dr. Pepper. And so over that course of that year, 11 months, I was working out and stopped drinking Dr. Pepper, stopped eating Diet Back Cheese Fries, and I lost 50 pounds. So God, you know, really convicted me during that time that I, I needed to get a lot more disciplined with my health and with my lifestyle if I was going to make it for the long haul and if I was going to be the kind of dad that I knew I, I wanted to be. And so during that year, I had to ask myself in that season and still to this day, I have to ask myself, I, I could and it wouldn't be any problem, but should I? Because that's what wisdom says. And listen, the same thing is true for you in college, in your life in college. There are many things you could go and do. And some of those things, there wouldn't be anything inherently wrong with them. Some of them, there's very clearly something that's wrong with doing that action. But some, sometimes, some things, it might not be inherently wrong to do that thing in that moment, but wisdom says, knowing yourself, knowing what your weaknesses are, it allows you to back up and ask the question. This is what wisdom does. This is what it looks like to adult. You begin to say, I could, but I'm not sure that I should. And listen, if you can begin to have that kind of wisdom where you ask that question of yourself, I could, but I'm not sure that I should. Should I do this in this moment, in this season of my life? If you can begin to have that kind of wisdom, that will make the difference between owning college and college owning you. That could make the difference between you thriving in college or in life or just barely surviving. So let me show you what I'm talking about. If you've got a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, if it's not the translation you understand, we've got free Bibles. I'll also have the verses on the screen. You can also go to RaiderChurch.com, click on sermon notes. The verses will be there for you. All the points and everything for you uh, are there if you would like to take those with you and remember those uh, for, after this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me set this up for you and then we'll dive into it. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth and he's asking, or he's answering rather, a lot of their questions. They've been asking him some questions like, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? What do we do about this? What do we do in this situation? So Paul's writing a letter back to them and he's answering a lot of those questions. And he says in 1 Corinthians 6, a few verses before we're gonna be tonight, he says, don't you know that the drunkard and the sexually immoral, and then he lists off a lot of other things, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Like in other words, followers of Jesus Christ aren't drunkards and they aren't sexually immoral. And so it's in that context that he goes where we're, we're about to go. So they're basically asking, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Can we do this? Uh, I thought we could do this. What's, what's wrong with it? And so he's answering some of their questions. And so here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. I have the right to do anything you say. So he's referring to something they've asked him or to something they've written him. So he's answering their questions. So he's referring to what they've said. You see this? He says, I have the right to do anything you say. So you're saying, I have the right to do anything. And so here's his answer. But not everything is beneficial. 
I have the right to do anything. Again, he's referring back to what they said. I have the right to do anything you say, but I will not be, let's say this word all together. Ready? One, two, three. But I will not be mastered by anything. So Paul says, you're saying, like you have the attitude, I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. I can make any decision I want. I can do as I please. And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 first of all, that's not the attitude a follower of Jesus has. But secondly, he says this, you're saying that, but not everything. Wait, go back one. Go, go back one. He said, not everything is beneficial. And he says, not, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. So that's Paul's attitude. That's his heart. I, everything that I'm doing is going to pass through this filter of, is it beneficial? And is it going to master me? Will it have short-term or long-term mastery over me? Like, will it own me? So this is the, the filter that Paul is using for decisions that the church at Corinth should make, that, that we should make. Wisdom will back up and say, I could, but it doesn't mean I should. All right, next. So here's what Paul is basically saying. In other words, what you do with your liberty can often lead to captivity. I'd write that down. What you do with your liberty can often lead to captivity. We're going to stay right here for just a second. I want to explain this to you. You see, Paul is answering the church at Corinth. He's answering their questions. And so basically what they're saying is, as a follower of Jesus, we've been forgiven of our sin, past, present, and future. So we're free. We're free from the penalty of our sin. We're free from the fine of our sin. So we're free. We can do as we please. Our sin, Hebrews says, our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future all at once. Our sin was forgiven once for all time through Jesus' death on the cross. It's the best news ever. But what can tend to happen for you and for the church at Corinth as we begin to presume on God's grace. Well, I can just ask for forgiveness for that. I can do what I want. I can do as I please, and I'll just ask for forgiveness. Jesus died for it. No big deal. I'm free. And so Paul is addressing here their attitude about their liberty, their freedom in Christ. And so Paul says, in other words, what you do with your liberty, your freedom now in Christ, the, the fact that you've been forgiven of your sin once and for all time, the attitude that you have towards this can often lead to captivity, right back into slavery to the sin that Jesus died to set you free from, when that's your attitude. What you do with your liberty can often lead right back into captivity. And what Paul is saying, basically, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6, if you continue to read, he says, listen, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You, you belong to God. So why are you having this attitude like I can do whatever I want? I have the right to do anything I please. Why are, Paul's kind of like, why are you acting like that? You, you, you don't belong to yourself. If you became a follower of Jesus, you're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price, Paul says. And then he goes on to say, later in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, so whatever we do, we should be doing it for the glory of God. That should be the, the Christian. That's the, the follower of Jesus' heart. That whatever I do, I want to bring glory to God. It's not about what I want. It's not about me. It's about him and what's glorifying to him. Paul would say in Romans 3, he's kind of answering the same question. People who said that, well, we've been forgiven our sins, so basically let's go live it up. We're, we're free. Our sin's forgiven. 
So we can mess up, we can screw up, and, and, and just ask Jesus, for, and, and he'll forgive us because he, he paid the price for our sin. The fine's been paid. Paul says in Romans 3, those who live like that, their condemnation is deserved. Let, let me make sure and explain that to you real quick because that's huge. Paul's saying those that live like that, basically, in Romans 3, their condemnation is deserved. What he's saying is those people that live like that really never knew Jesus in the first place. They will still be condemned for their sin because their heart was never really changed in the first place. So Paul says, those that presume upon God's grace and just act like it's no big deal when they sin, Jesus is gonna forgive me, I'm cool, I'm good. Those that live like that, he says in Romans 3, their condemnation is deserved. Basically, Paul's saying that's not the attitude of a Christian. That's not the heart of a Christian. I have the right to do whatever I wanna do. No, I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I, I belong to God. And so here's kind of the test that I wanna give you, three tests for whether or not something is beneficial, whether or not something's gonna bring glory to God. There's three tests. Number one, is it beneficial? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, is this beneficial? Is this benefiting me? Is this lifting me up? Is this pushing me to, to look more like Jesus? Does this thing, will this thing have mastery over me? Short-term or long-term? Will I be tempted for this thing to have mastery over me? In other words, to become addicted to this thing, whether it's in the short-term or long-term. Will doing this, in the short-term even, alter my mind or my thinking or affect me in such a way to where that substance or that item has mastery over me and what I do and what I think. And then the third test, will it bring glory to God? See, wisdom backs up and says, I, I could do that, but should I? Is it beneficial? Will it have mastery over me? Does it bring glory to God? See, that's the way the, the healthy Christian should live their life. So you can apply that to anything. When it comes to, what about alcohol? Well, there's nothing in, inherently wrong with alcohol. In fact, the Bible just says don't, don't get drunk. It, it says nothing about not having a, a drink. And so we're not the fun police around here at Raider Church saying that it's wrong to have a drink. Now, it's clearly a sin to get drunk. And so when it comes to alcohol, is it beneficial? Well, you could say it's not, it's kind of morally neutral. You, you can do it and still be bringing glory to God by the way that you live your life, but you can make serious mistakes with it and not. Will it have mastery over me? Good question. For some of us, having a drink will lead to many more drinks. And so in the short term and maybe in the long term, Alcohol, drugs, or whatever are going to have mastery over us. They're going to alter the way that we think and live, even if it's for a few hours or for an evening. So then maybe for you, you could, but maybe for you, you shouldn't. Wisdom will back up and say, I could, but it doesn't necessarily mean I should. What about porn? Another addiction that Many guys struggle with. I've struggled with it in my own life. Is it beneficial? No. It ruins relationships. It ruins marriages. 
it leads to many other things that are much worse. They have extreme consequences. Can it have mastery over it? Yeah, porn's been, tr- been proven to have the same effects on the mind, on the brain as a drug would. Porn very clearly in the short term and in the long term will have mastery over your life. Does it bring glory to God? Absolutely not. The Bible's clear that being aroused by anything or anyone other than your spouse is is sin. Jesus said you even look at a woman lustfully that you're, you're sinning in your heart. You're committing adultery in your heart. There's many other things, whether it's shopping or, or food or video games or whatever, we can pass them through those tests. Say, is it beneficial? Does it have mastery over my life? Does it bring glory to God? You might be asking, well, how do I know if something's owning my life? How do I know if something has mastery over my life? Well, here's some ways that you can know. Number one, you can't stop doing it. It owns you. If you can't stop doing it, whether it's alcohol or drugs or or porn or or shopping, if you can't stop doing it, then it owns you. Number two, it it owns you if you can't do without it. Like to, to feel good about yourself and have a good day, you you have to do it. You can't do without it. Like you need it to function. You need to do it to function day to day. Number three, you can't have fun without it. You know, if you can't live your life week to week and weekend to weekend without getting drunk every single week or every single weekend, you've got a problem. Because you aren't able to have fun without alcohol. That shows there's a problem there. So if you can't have fun without that item, If it's impossible for you to, the only way you can have fun is by doing this or having this or taking this, then you've got a problem. Something owns you. And then fourth, you run to it. When times are tough, when you're stressed out, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, you run to that item or to that person or to that thing. If you have something you constantly are running to when times get tough, when you're struggling, when you're going through a trial, chances are it probably owns you. And here's what you need to realize about things you run to. The things that you run to will often win you. That thing that you run to over and over and over again when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when when you're struggling, that thing that you run to will oftentimes begin to win you. It'll own you and it will ruin your life. My brother, Travis, a couple years younger than me, Went to tech, he was a beta, and every week he told me, he was constantly getting drunk, at least once, if not two or three times a week, throughout his entire college career. He was just, he was getting wasted over and over and over again. He was sleeping around. Those things led to him doing hardcore drugs like cocaine, heroin, things like that. After he graduated, he got to the lowest point in his life where he was depressed. He was in Austin and he was going through a time of depression. And at his lowest moment, he cried out to God and said, God, I need your help. 
He went to church with someone. He went to a Christmas Eve service. He felt God's presence there. He moved back to Lubbock. He started coming to the church that planted uh, Raider Church. It's called Experience Life here in town. And he started coming there. And um, I'm a pastor on staff there too. And so he, he started coming there and he started trying to follow Jesus. I got to baptize my brother. But all the while, he still kind of had one foot in with the party scene and alcohol and, and, and kind of one foot in with Jesus. And he did that for the next year. He was trying to follow Jesus, but then he would get drunk again. He was trying to follow Jesus, but he continued to get drunk. He'd mess up with this girl. He ended up moving to Dallas for a job. He continued this lifestyle, kind of one foot in with Jesus, one, one foot in with the party scene where he continued to, every time he had a drink, it would lead to many more after that where he was completely wasted. And he realized he had a problem. And so he decided that it was time for him to go all in with Jesus. That he was going to go all in. He was going to quit drinking. Even though for some of us, having a drink wouldn't necessarily be sin, and there might not be anything wrong with it. For him, he realized at this moment, in this season of his life, even though he could, he should. And that at this season of his life, for him to even have one drink was sinful. Because it meant that that, I, that thing, alcohol, was going to have mastery over his life very quickly. And so he decided, I'm, st I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have a drink again. And so he went over a year without having a drink, even a sip of alcohol. About a year and a half in, he had some close Christian friends with him and he had a drink and he was able to have one and walk away. And ever since then, if he's with the right people that he knows will keep him accountable, he'll have a drink and he'll walk away. But if he's not with the right crowd, he knows that for him in that moment, it's not wise for him to even have one drink because it'll quickly turn into something again that will have mastery over him. You see, what Travis understood and what you need to understand is that healthy Christians know that just because I could doesn't mean I should. Healthy Christians know that just because I could doesn't mean I should. If you want to be like Paul and say, nothing is going to have mastery over my life, then you need to understand just like Travis did about alcohol for him, that just because you could doesn't mean you should. So you might be wondering, well, how do, I, how do I break free? I've got something in my life that's owning me right now. How do I break free? Well, number one, you've got to own it. You've got to confess it. You need to confess it to God. The Bible says in 1 John that if you confess your sin to God, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive you of all your sin. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So you need to confess it to God. You need to share it with other people, with some close Christian friends in your life. If something's owning you, if there's something that you got one foot in with Jesus, but you got one foot in with this thing that just keeps owning you and you keep going back to it and you keep running back to it, you need to get accountable. You need to share 
with some close Christian friends, with that inner circle that we talked about last week. You need to be able to share with them and get accountable with some people in your life that will pray for you and be there for you and help you through that. Just like my brother Travis had. He got involved in a church called Watermark and started going to this singles ministry called The Porch. And he got a group of guys around him that he was friends with and he was able to share openly and honestly about his struggles and the things that owned him. And they did the same thing with him and they were able to keep each other accountable. And together, they broke free from the things that had mastery over them. So you need to share it. The Bible says in James that when we confess our sins to each other, we'll experience healing as we pray for one another, as we help each other out. Three, you need to run from it. You need to run from You need to separate yourself from whatever it is. If it's a computer, if it's a phone, if it's a bar, whatever it is, you need to separate yourself from whatever it is that's gonna lead to you making a decision you don't need to make. You need to separate yourself from the places that are gonna tempt you to do something that's going to own you and have mastery over your life again. And then four, you need to Jesus it. Jesus is our hope. Paul said in Romans seven, tell me if this doesn't sound or ring true for you in your life, doesn't sound familiar. Paul said in Romans seven, the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things that I don't wanna do, those are the things that I do. In my heart, I don't wanna do those things, but I still do them because I'm a, my, in my flesh, I'm still a slave to those things. They own me and they have mastery over me. In my heart, I want to follow God. And he says, I, I, found, I find two desires at work here that are warring and battling against each other. I want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus. But then I've got the, my flesh right here that's leading me towards temptation, towards the things that are going to mastery over me, towards the things that are going to own me. So even the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 would say, the things I don't want to do, the things I keep doing, I don't want to do those things anymore. And the things I want to do in my heart those are the things I have so much trouble doing. And so Paul says, I've got this war, I've got this battle going on in Romans 7. He goes, who's gonna save me? Who's gonna save me from this body of death? And he says at the end of Romans 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that's gonna save me. He's the one that's my hope. Jesus is the one that's going to set me free, that's gonna change my heart. Paul says, I don't wanna do the things that I do. So who's gonna save me? What hope do I have? And he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives me the victory. You're owned by something right now in your life. You need Jesus to give you victory over the thing that's owning you, over the thing that's got mastery over you. You need Jesus. And here's what's incredible. When you give your life to Jesus, Paul goes on to say, Romans 8 verse one, he says this, regardless of what you've done, Hear this, regardless of what you've done in your past or what you did this week or what you did yesterday, regardless of what you've done, it doesn't matter. Watch this, Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've given your life to Jesus, Hebrews is true where I quoted from just a little bit ago. Hebrews 10 says that Christ died for your sin once and for all time. It's forgiven. 
You've been washed clean. You've been made new. The old is gone. The new has come. You're forgiven of your sin. It's been cleansed. The Bible says it's been cast as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says, the, the, oh, your sins are like scarlet. They've been made white as snow. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're free. You are free. Regardless, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you have given your life to Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the opposite is also true. Listen to this. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, then there is condemnation for your sin that's awaiting you. You see, the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all messed up, every single one of us, myself included. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him, to go to heaven when we die. We've all fallen short of his standard to be right with him, and there's nothing we can do. We can't try harder, we can't go to church more. There's nothing that we can do to make up for our sin or to pay the price for our sin. And the fine for that sin is eternity separated from God in a place called hell. The great news is that God loves you so much. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. For you. You had rejected him. You had rebelled against him. You had ran. You were running from God. And God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you anyways in the midst of your sin to pay the fine that you and I owe. And so you have a choice. You can keep rejecting Jesus. And one day when you stand before God, you'll have to pay the fine for your sin. Or you can choose to give your life to Jesus. And the Bible says when you make that decision, you give your life to Jesus, your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That could be you. Jesus is our only hope for eternal life. And Jesus is our only hope for abundant life here on this earth. You know what my brother found out? He found out that Jesus is better than everything he'd ever done before. He told me even recently, he said, Clayton, I'm having more fun now than I ever had in college. In fact, his fiance texted me a video of him two days ago. He's at this retreat with some of his friends from church. And in this video, he had a stick of fire on both sides and he was twirling it and throwing it up in the air and catching it. I mean, my brother is absolutely crazy. But he would say, I'm having way more fun now than I ever did before because Jesus is better. He's your only hope for eternal, for abundant life here on this earth, for peace and satisfaction and fulfillment. He's your only hope and he's your only hope for eternal life. And so my challenge for you tonight is this, it's to give your life to Jesus if you've never done that before. If you have done that before, it's to go all in with Jesus, both feet. You've got one foot in with Jesus and, and one foot in with the thing that's got mastery over you. Go all in with Jesus. Own the thing that's owning you. Own it. Share it with other people. Get accountable. Run from it. And come to Jesus with it. And so here's what I want to invite you to do tonight. 
I'm gonna invite you to do something bold and, and maybe scary. But it's always when we do something bold, when we take a step of faith that, that God does something powerful and miraculous in our life. And so if you're here tonight and there's something that's been owning you, it could be anything. It could be something I mentioned or something I didn't. But something's owning you, something has mastery over you, you're, you're struggling with something. You've got one in foot in with Jesus and kind of one foot in with this thing that you keep running to and that you keep messing up with. If that's you and you'd like someone to pray for you tonight, I wanna invite you to do something bold right here in this moment. And that's to stand and say, yep, that's me, I'm gonna own it. And I'd like someone to pray for me. I'd like you to pray for me. So if that's you, I just wanna invite you right now to own it and stand. Thanks. Way to be bold, bud. Thank you. You can still stand if that's you. Stay standing. I'm gonna invite, I'm, we're gonna pray for you here in just a second. This is your time. This is your moment to own it and say, Jesus, I need your help. I'm tired of having one foot in with Jesus and, and one foot in with this thing that's got mastery over me that I keep going back to. If that's you, stand. People are standing all over and you're not alone. There's been points in time in my life where, where I would be standing myself. Thank you guys for having the boldness and the courage to stand. And so if you're around one of these guys, if you feel comfortable, just put your hand on their shoulder and I'll invite you to pray for them. You can get up out of your chair, move if you have to, but I, I, I want every last person in the room to have a hand on their shoulder. Prayer teams, if you guys will look around and make sure everyone has a hand on their shoulder. And here's what I want you to begin to pray for them. Pray that in this moment, as they've had the boldness and the courage to stand, that to own it and to even share it right now with other people, that Jesus will come in power and set them free from whatever has mastery over them. So would you do that just for a minute? If you feel comfortable, you can say it out loud. You can just pray it in your heart, but pray that God will set them free from whatever is owning them, from whatever has mastery over them just right now in this moment. God, thank you for each person that stood. Thank you for their boldness. And God, I know there's many others of us, God, that, that, that might have stood, but we were scared. And God, I pray in this moment for every person, for all of us, Jesus, that you would set us free from the sin that so easily entangles us, from the sin that owns us and has mastery over us. And, and we say like Paul, who will save us? Who will rescue us? And we thank you, God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that you will give us the victory, that you're going to give these guys that have stood the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now let's all stand. Our team's gonna lead us in worship. We're gonna have prayer teams all over the room. They're available to pray with you. If you're sick, if you're anxious, you're depressed, you're addicted to something, Whatever's going on in your life, they're here to pray with you. They're gonna have orange glow sticks on. You just go up to them, tell them what's going on, and they would love to pray for you.
But here's what's amazing. We said in Romans 8, there's no condemnation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul goes on to say this, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So I wanna tell you tonight, if you're in Christ, you're free. You are free where the spirit of the Lord is. The Bible says there is freedom. And so Jesus, fill this place with your presence. Holy Spirit, come and move in power tonight and set us free.